Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kia ora, nā mai harmai ki te au hurihanga, and nei te raupapa putai au ki te raumati. Hello and welcome to Our Changing World. This is the Summer Science Series. Ko Klekenkanen tēnei. For their master's course, students at the University of Otago's Department of Science Communication are tasked with recording a podcast about a scientific controversy. This week, we're playing two of those stories. First up... The word hybrids might make you think of cars, but in conservation, hybrids are crosses between different animal species, and they're a hot topic. Janice Wong finds out more. This is the sound of a red wolf, an endangered species in the United States. The government is trying to help them by re-establishing their population in eastern North Carolina. However, they encountered an issue. The state found that the red wolves have interbred with the coyotes there, creating hybrid babies, the koi wolves. This became a major challenge to the red wolf recovery. To overcome the challenge, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has developed a plan within the recovery area. They hunted, captured, and sterilized any coyotes or hybrids they encountered in the hope to safeguard the precious red wolves from breeding with them. But the operation went wrong. The red wolves were mistakenly killed because they looked too similar to the hybrids, and some were shot intentionally by poachers. As a result, the state imposed a ban on hunting these hybrids within the area to prevent further harm to the red wolf population. So, are hybrid organisms really a problem? Why? When two animals mate yeah. <laughs> and produce a different animal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think of like a mix of two models or a mix of two processes. Is it by variegated plants with the different whiteness and whatever else on it? Hybrid, for me, is like, okay, cars. You have hybrid, which is partly electric and partly petrol. Crossover between electric and petrol-powered vehicles. That's probably where I hear it most often. Hybridization is a significant force in nature. It is the mixing of genes from different species or subspecies. This force is capable of having positive and negative impacts on the diversity of species and their evolution over time. That's where things get a bit tricky. One of the things that hybridization could lead to is that you increase the amount of genetic diversity within a threatened species. So this could potentially provide opportunities for greater evolutionary potential because they'll have more different genes greater opportunities to adapt to change. It can also lead to negative genetic impacts where these hybrid offspring being not so well adapted to the landscape, this could impact on 
uh, the fitness of threatened species. This is Natalie Forstick. I'm a conservation genomics researcher at Manaki Whenua Landcare Research. I'm interested in using DNA tools to understand how we can help threatened species. In the field of bird conservation, the way hybrids are dealt with is a bit more complicated. The animal kaki is rarer than the kakapo and are now only found just around twice. Like the red wolf, they also face a hybrid dilemma. So kaki and pied stilts are each other's closest relatives. It means that they're still able to interbreed. When these birds get together, they can produce fertile eggs, and these eggs can hatch and produce hybrid chicks. For at least a couple of decades, the Department of Conservation has been trying to save this Tonga species through the Kaki Recovery Program. My name's Liz Brown, and I have been with the Kaki Recovery Program for 14 years now. I am the project lead for the captive management side of the project. So I'm responsible for uh, incubating the eggs and hand-rearing the chicks and producing the birds for release out into the wild. The Kaki Recovery Program has been going since since the early 80s and the captive breeding side of things has been happening since the early 90s, I think. At the moment, we have four captive breeding pairs, which we collect eggs from, but we're also collecting eggs from wild pairs out in the wild population, uh, which then come into captivity. We artificially incubate them and then we hand-rear the chicks and we hold on to them until they're um, nearly a year old, and then we release them back out into the wild population. As I was talking to Liz, something jogged my memory about an article I read in a New Zealand geography magazine called Life Will Find a Way, written by Bill Morris. The article mentioned that dog rangers would destroy the eggs of hybrid pairs they found within the recovery area. So I asked Liz about the reason behind it, and whether this poses any risk to the khakis themselves, given what happened to the red wolves in the United States. Rangers aren't specifically looking for hybrid nests. The rangers are out there looking for khaki nests, which we're going to collect the eggs and bring them back and incubate them and hand-rear them. If they happen to find a nest where there's a khaki with a poaka, then they'll intervene, um, and they'll do what is basically mimicking a natural predation event, so it's like a cat's come along and eaten their eggs. It is unfortunate that these hybrids are not permitted to live, even though they carry the genes in the whakapapa of the precious kaki. But I also understand where Liz is coming from. When we are able to produce large numbers of birds in captivity and release them in big groups, there's much more chance that kaki will find another kaki mate. This is our preferred tool for reducing hybridisation. There are significant behavioural differences between pied stilt and kaki, so it's not just about the colour of their feathers. For example, kaki remain in the braided rivers of the Mackenzie Basin all year round, while pied stilt will migrate to warmer coastal environments for the winter. The loss of habitat in introduced species have contributed to the problem of hybridisation in the kaki population. Kaki do what's called positive assortative mating, uh, which means where possible they will always choose the mate that's most like themselves. Because kaki got to such low numbers due to predation by introduced mammals and through habitat loss, it became really difficult for them to find other kaki to breed with and pied stilt were the next available option. It is critical that we take actions to address this issue. 
as these species are endangered of disappearing from our planet. The mahi that Liz and her team have done to protect the kaki is truly remarkable, and I hope that their efforts will pay off in the end. Interestingly, I happen to know someone who was involved in the program a while back, and has a slightly different perspective. It's a short-term thinking that we can manage a species to be pristine. At what point are we deciding that? Kaki needs to be all black, and it's just like this. Is that not part of the environment that they are? This is Hawani Langsbury. I have been um, working as a kaitiaki uh, within the conservation realm for at least a couple of decades. Certainly, directly through the Kaki project. When uh, up until about eleven years ago, while I was a, a member of that group. They were managed to ensure that there wasn't interbreeding going on between the pied and the black stilt.、Uh, and at that time, I was、uh, supportive of the direction that the work was going. But I think that we no longer had the habitat to enable that to happen, and we could be setting ourselves up, same as they did in America, where they've lost species by trying to constrain a species to a particular genotype. And the environment isn't there to support them to make that happen. Now I have gained some insights on the dilemma in the realm of birds. What about plants? Here I'm at the Lanark Castle, looking for a lady called Fiona. She is the author of the 100 Best Native Plants for New Zealand Gardens, and has also been in the running for New Zealand's Top Gardener. My name is Fiona Eddy. I'm head gardener at Larnet Castle, and also work for Thought Planters as a tutor for apprentices in horticulture. I followed her through the gardens. We are looking for native tree species that have a long hybridisation history. This is an interesting one because here is a mature lancewood. This was with the great big long leaves, but the thing is that it hybridises widely. With another species, which we don't have here and doesn't naturally grow in Dunedin, and it's called Cedipanax lasonii. Just when I thought hybrid birds are complex, hybridisation in plants turned out to be even more fascinating. One thing I learned from Fiona is that, unlike many animal hybrids that are infertile or have lower survival fitness, plants are actually the opposite. In terms of from one plant origin. One plant, we've got massive diversification because our climate was always changing. Now, and the only way that the plants could survive was to continually adapt, hybridise. Only those ones could survive. The issue is, you will start to end up losing the purity of the single species. This is so interesting, but even so, Fiona thinks that most people don't seem to care too much about what's going on in the world of plants. Well, no one is worrying about it. That is the issue. They're an amazing living organism. Yeah. And they're underrated. Animals get all the attention, and the plants <laughs> do not. When I ask her what is the role of hybridisation when it comes to restoring native plants in New Zealand, here's what she thinks. If we lose the pure lancewood, it's a frickin' loss. It's an iconic New Zealand species, but you would have to make every Pseudopanax lasonii and all its hybrids. That exist, make everyone take them all out.、Mm. You know that is where you go. Well, where do you draw that line? Yes, 
where do we draw the line? It's very hard. Our evolution is, is in many ways quite recent and we want everything to stay exactly the same. We have got global warming, climate is changing anyway, so is this going to happen anyway and are we just trying to retain the past? Humans don't like change, they like to keep things exactly as it is. But really, if you look at geological scale, we're a blip on it. And things are going to change. We have to accept it is going to change. What I get from Liz, Hewani and Fiona is that, in the case of treating hybridization and organisms, the key challenge lies in finding a balance between protecting a species' genetic diversity and integrity, while also allowing hybridization to happen. This is certainly a case-by-case issue. One thing that everyone agrees on is that we cannot play God, and eventually we may have to accept the fact that we need to walk away and let nature take its course. Thanks, Janice. That was Should We Protect Hybrid Species in Aotearoa, produced by Janice Wong. She spoke to Natalie Forsdick from Manaki Fenua, Liz Brown from the Department of Conservation, and Huani Langsbury, Chairman of the Otago Peninsula Biodiversity Group and Manager of Operations for the Royal Albatross Centre and Blue Penguins Pukekura. Next up, Jody Evans explores the relationship between Ma Tauranga Māori and Western science, and the controversy sparked by a 2021 letter to the editor in The Listener, in her podcast called In Defence of Mana. Ma Tauranga Māori, in a sense, for me, it's the essence of whakapapa. Ma Tauranga Māori was once used by my tipuna, will be used by my mokos. Te ao Māori, me te reo Māori, me ahurea Māori, it is... Mataranga Māori is something that is fluid and it allows you to go within the physical realm, like kite tinana within the within our bodily realm, but as well as kite wairua within the spiritual realm. It is Mataranga Māori is something that fully allows you to be immersed within ahurea me tikanga Māori. Mataranga Māori translates to Māori knowledge and evolved before European contact as Māori ancestors encountered new climates, geography, flora and fauna. It allowed them to flourish and live in harmony with the natural world. For Jamila, a genetics and indigenous development student at the University of Otago, it is just that. But for many, Mataranga Māori may instead remind them of passionate and divisive debate across the scientific community. With the Royal Society of New Zealand pushing their woke agenda onto students. They do not know what science is. And now wants to indoctrinate children in a way that destroys Western science. Seems to be antithetical to what science does. If they're not true worldwide, then they're not scientific truths, they're mythological truths. The debate's height of controversy occurred when seven professors from Auckland University wrote a public letter to the listener. They opposed new implementations in the New Zealand curriculum to include Mataranga Māori as an equal body of knowledge to science. This set the internet alight with heated debate, oftentimes really upsetting both those against and for the use of Mataranga Māori. So today I've spoken to two wahini Māori in science to see how they feel Mataranga Māori should be viewed. Uh, kure te whanau kōwai au, he uri tēnei nō ngaitahu, ngaitahu pautani waitaha me ngāti mamoi anō hoki. Uh, ko jume toki ngoa, i nai nei kei te ako au i ngā mataira, me uh, he mata uh, kura nui ki te whariwānanga o tākau. So kia ora, my name is Jamila, I whakapapa back to ngaitahu, 
Ngaitahu Potani, so the west coast of Ngaitahu Waitaha and Ngati Mamui. Um, I currently study uh, genetics and indigenous development at the University of Otago. Central to Mataranga Māori is Māori. This is the life force or essence of a thing, being or place. Māori is not something that's just in people. It's in the whenua that we're in. It's within, you know, the rākau, within the trees. All that was birthed by Papatuanuku all has a Māori. Those against Mataranga Māori have voiced concerns for what they call a demonisation of science. They argue that science did not colonise, it is acultural, that teaching students about science's role in oppression will discourage them from the subject, that science has enabled rapid advancement of technology and knowledge and should always be taught as such. While you can look to some of science's greatest successes, such as vaccines and antibiotics, history yields a wealth of unethical research in the name of science. James Cook's 1769 voyage to New Zealand was commissioned as a scientific exploration. Wartime human experimentation has contributed to global medical advancements surrounding hypothermia, malaria and dehydration. This leaves many questions to be asked. Should science always remain a shining success story? Or should we remain critical about ethics of individual research? After all, science is human-driven and is by this definition inherently subject to the influence of societal and personal agendas. I spoke to Professor Georgina Stewart, who is a Māori teacher of science and who has spent 20 years researching the relationships between language, culture, knowledge and education. The image that science portrays of itself is triumphalist because it ignores any of the bad stuff about science. So science is not kind of this shining um, thing, but scientists are much more inclined to get kind of to believe in those triumphalist narratives that science tells about itself. I'm not at all interested in or making disparaging, you know, remarks about Mm. science. I'm actually interested in science doing better. A critique of science from a Māori point of view, the aim of which was to improve science. Perhaps a lot of people mistaken the implementation of mātauranga Māori within the sciences. They possibly think that we're trying to get rid of Western ideologies of science when really we're just trying to make it better and more personal for this country, for New Zealand in itself. Another opposing opinion raised is that science is based on repeated empirical testing, the methods of which face strict peer review. Māori traditional knowledge cannot be compared with the rigorous standards of modern scientific endeavour. Georgina argues that for some aspects of Mataranga Māori this is true, and the two should not be directly compared. But that does not mean that Mataranga Māori is not of great value and doesn't make for better science in Aotearoa. Traditional nature narratives work as overarching models to increase value to research and foster respect for the organisms and the materials involved. I've never met any Māori person who wants to say that the Rangi and Papa are stories or narratives have the status of scientific truth. I've never met anyone like that. In pre-European Māori society, without having the benefits of the technology and the science, and they served um, the same purpose in terms of a theoretical explanation of the world as what our scientific theories serve for us today. The very question of whether or not Mātauranga Māori is science is actually beside the point. It's like the scientists are fixated and they're keeping the debate on that level. Um, Whereas um, my answer, you know, my answer to that question is it depends. You know, it depends what definition you're using of science 
and what definition you're using of Mātauranga Māori, because they're both very big things, and to say that this and this are the same is is kind of problematic when you're dealing with very large, complex phenomena or bodies of knowledge, as it were. For example, with DNA, with core iwi that we use, with um, body parts that we use, will actually allow these aspects to have more of that respect that they deserve. Because at the end of the day, when people, for example, devote themselves, their bodies to science, we should respect that. And we should, you know, give that body the mana. That body has mana. We should be giving it a form of respect anyway, to begin with. For us, it's not just that physical connection, it is that spiritual connection as well. Within Māori culture, whakapapa, which is genealogy, is a fundamental principle. Somebody's DNA is not just DNA, it's their whakapapa, it's their Māori, it's their tinana. And the fact that we're able to, I guess, do so much on it, but don't understand the importance of this person's DNA is something that I'm still trying to grapple with. The opposition also expressed concern for the time taken away from students learning in other areas of study to make room for mataranga Māori. Jamila explained to me that in the classroom, this simply meant a few extra steps to make science more inclusive. In one of my papers, Gene 315, we got our DNA and we were supposed to trace it back to the seven eaves. The seven people of Eves is all European. My maternal whakapapa is all Māori. And they had one piece of whakapapa that were Māori DNA from Wairo. So Wairo is up, up around Nelson, um, the Wairo bar. And their whakapapa and what happened with them in regards to within Te Paraha and his migration down to Ngaitahu, down to my pa, my kaipui pa, where his people battled my part and killed a lot of our men and our children and enslaved uh, my own great-great-grandmother, my tawanui. But they didn't realise this, and I put this in my science report, they don't realise that there's also history within within this and that I, somebody as Ngaitahu, does not want to have to relate back to Wairo Ba'a. For example, like, karekia timatanga, karekia motunga. They're not changing anything regards to the actual experiment. They're just adding in a few more elements of Mātauranga Māori and Tikanga Māori that gives your experiment a bit more mana and values what you're doing. And if you're, for example, playing with elements that are from the whenua, the moana, that are from people in itself, by doing those karakia and by using specific elements of tikanga that's relevant to what you're doing, as the people of the treaty, you're also valuing mana whenua and your te tangata whenua. If we take the view, as I do, that all human knowledge belongs to all human, we're entitled to be enriched, I suppose, or educated by finding out, by learning about science, and by learning about Mātauranga Māori. You know, it's not the case that knowledge belongs to different people. Um, so I guess my, my answer would be, why wouldn't you, if you're, if you're a scientist here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, why wouldn't you want to know about what Māori uh, uh, knowledge of the world? That's one thing. We are paving the way for rangatahi, for those of the next generation, paving that awa to allow the way, to allow the waters of our, of our mātauranga to flow through, to allow our tamariki and our rangatahi to go through this biomedical pathway. And I think having that kind of whakaro within this aspect has you know, kind of allowed me to drive because without it, I'd probably be, what am I doing here? I could just have an easier option.
The question I find myself asking is, does this whole debate take away from what is really important for Aotearoa? Is the inclusion of Mataranga Māori more about creating safe spaces and understanding the value of Indigenous knowledge? Are students like Jamila really the ones missing out by having their inclusion within science up for public discussion? One day I hope to be a clinical geneticist and if I continue that pathway and I will be able to be that bridge between the science world and the Māori world where Māori would be more inclined to talk to me and trust me with their whakapapa that would not just benefit their health but the health of New Zealand and perhaps as well you know implementing more tikanga me mātauranga Māori within the science realm will actually allow more respect for people's DNA for example you know and people's cells that would be a dream baby steps I need to graduate first <laughs> That was the podcast In Defense of Mana, produced by science communication student Jody Evans. Jody spoke to Jamela Reynolds Hayden, a Naitahu student at the University of Otago, and Professor Georgina Stewart, a Maori researcher at the Auckland University of Technology. Steve Ting helped with technical support, and Dr. Jennifer Catamol provided a range of taungo puro for the soundscape. This episode was assembled by our Changing World producer, Ellen Rikers, with help from me, Claire Kincannon. Sound engineering was by Phil Benj and William Saunders, and Tim Watkin is executive producer of podcasts and series at RNZ. You can find out more at our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. Kia faia iti au hurihanga ite tahi taupanga paiaki kia koe. Follow the Our Changing World podcast on your favourite podcast app. And that way, you'll never miss an episode. Stay tuned next week as we continue our summer science series. Tenakwe ifakarungumai. Thanks so much for listening. Kokler and Kananaho. Have a great week. Kia pai, the wiki. Botox Cosmetic, Adobotulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.